All right. Uh, there's something uh, special about the eighth chapter of Romans. Uh, when I was pastoring First Baptist Westminster, probably it was the most common text that I would end up coming to at some point in the sermon because it brings about the culmination of things. So we're really at a high point in the book of Romans. Uh, as we continue that study... Two things are important to remember, that Paul says there's a faith, a righteousness that is by faith, not by works, a righteousness by faith, apart from the Torah, apart from the commandments, independent of that, that is, a, that is testified to by the prophets and the Torah. In other words, they teach about this righteousness of faith. It's the righteousness of faith that Abraham had when he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It is a righteousness that is based on grace and a grace which we engage by faith and then go through a process. And Paul says we should rejoice in that process even though it involves testing of our faith because that testing brings about endurance, that endurance brings about character, the character gives indication that the hope that we have is not a false hope, but a true hope. Second thing he says to us is that we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God so that we won't continue to be a slave to sin. That part of the gospel seems to have slid away in many people's notions. We have today what I call layaway Christianity. I say the magic words, now I'm saved, then I live my life any way I want, and Jesus will pick me up at the rapture. That's not the biblical message. The biblical message is that if you come to him and confess him as Lord and follow him, then you are his disciple, right? And so that's not a salvation of works, but it's not a salvation of sin. It's a salvation of freedom from sin and a struggle towards obedience to the Lord. So last week we addressed Paul using a play on words where he talked about law, meaning the Torah in some places, in other places meaning the law of sin and death. This play on words led many people to think that Jesus died to get rid of the law. Because the law was the problem. So Jesus died to get rid of the law. Because now with no law, we're, we're all under grace. That's not quite what Paul had in mind. Paul concludes that his mind, because he's got the Spirit of God, his mind wants to follow the commandments of God. But there's another law in his flesh that prevents that. And he says, since I, in my mind, want to follow God, and this thing in my flesh doesn't want to, I'm not the one doing it, but sin in me. And he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, and that's where we left off. So we're going to pick up at Acts, uh, Acts. <laughs> we're going to pick up at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The first verse of Romans 8 says, now remember there are no verses in the Bible. Uh, the danger of verses is that we compartmentalize and we're going to see that right here. Chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Ta-da! And that's how people read it. 
they read it as if I have said the words, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, make me a believer, pick me up on your way to the kingdom, right? And I'm off to live my purpose or do whatever I'm doing. That's not what this says. That's out of context. So we have to look at the context because the context of this is Romans 6 where Paul says, if we are in Christ, we have been baptized into his death, into his burial, into his resurrection so that we would live a different kind of life than we used to live. This is the old gospel, the way it was preached. Some people thought that was a work salvation. It's not a work salvation. It's understanding that if I trust God and He has made a way for my salvation, I am now going to trust that I can struggle towards obedience. Not that that will earn my salvation, but it will express that my salvation is genuine. So, too many people have ignored the context of that. So let's look at where Paul goes in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Notice, the law of the spirit of life, that's what we have in Christ, that resurrection aspect, has set you free from the Torah? No, the law of sin and death that's in our flesh. And that's why he tells us to reckon ourselves dead to that, because that's the spiritual truth. It's not the full actualization yet, but it's where we're headed, so we need to be minded that direction. That's where Paul's going. So he says, For what the Torah could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Nothing wrong with the Torah, Paul says. It's good, it's spiritual, it's holy. The problem is in me. I have this problem in me called sin, that as soon as the commandment comes, sin rises up and just manifests itself all over the place. So what the law couldn't do, God did in sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That's why there's no condemnation in us. He condemned the sin in the flesh. Now, he goes on, he says, so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us, that is, brought into fullness, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, that's a big difference. It's a big difference to say that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who because of their identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, are following in that direction, walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Not just saying the words. But as you know, and as I know full well, that walking in the direction of the Spirit is problematic. So Paul says... What the Torah could not do, it couldn't give us life. Because it was weakened through the flesh, which reacted to the law and created a flood of sin. God did in sending Jesus to address and condemn sin by his sacrificial death. Not the Torah, so that the requirement of the Torah can now be fulfilled. That is brought into full operation, particularly in the kingdom to come. In us who do not walk, the word walk, halakha, The idea of walking is the idea of how we behave. We don't behave 
according to the flesh, but we have reckoned ourselves dead to sin and alive to obedience by walking according to the Spirit. We're on a new path. We're on the path of life, not the path of death. So Paul's going to go into this in an explanation that's important for us to understand. So, going to pick it up at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, it can't even do it, right? That's, that's the, the flesh that we have. So those who are in the flesh can't please God. Now remember, those who come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We, are, we have to come to God by faith, not by our, our works, because our works can't measure up. However, He says, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, will raise, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit which dwells in you. Now, this is... This is critical. The believer has the Spirit of God, and we set our mind on the things of the Spirit. And those who don't have the Spirit of God set their mind on the flesh. Now, some of us are double-minded. We're trying to see how much I can keep my mind on the flesh and still be okay. That's not healthy. That's not a good thing to do. So, the unbeliever doesn't have the Spirit. We have that. And Paul's very clear about how you know whether your mind is set on the flesh or your mind is set on the Spirit. And he does that not in Romans, but in Galatians. And we've looked at that before, but I want us to look at it one more time. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Same subject, same context. Paul says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You not only set your mind on the Spirit, but you now live in obedience in the direction of the Spirit. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you please. You want to obey God, but you can't. We're back to Romans 7, right? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he's not saying you're not under the law in that the law's been done away with. He's saying this. And I try to use this example at the university. Hopefully it'll work for you. If you came in and you said, I, live in, I don't live in California, and I don't know the law here, uh, but I have to drive to San Diego. And I said to you, okay, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
You know how to drive. So you follow me. I'm going to drive in front of you. When I put on my signal, you put on your signal. When I make a lane change, you put your lane change. You pace me at my speed. I'm going to do it within the confines of the commandments. Then if you follow me, no matter what you want to do, if you follow me, you will not violate the commandments. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit leads us in the direction of obedience, not in the direction of disobedience. People who are disobeying the commandments are in the flesh. And that's why Paul goes on in, uh, in this passage to say uh, that the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, distractions, um, factions, uh, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and that kind of stuff. Right? I love Paul just said, etc. Right? Uh, and I warned you that those who practice these things, remember the issue of practice. This is intentional going in that direction. That I'm... I was sinking deep in sin. Wee! You know, that kind of thing. The idea that I can just do this because God's grace will abound. No, Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, however, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no commandment against those things, right? And they ultimately tie into the idea of love. So if we live by the Spirit, we're alive because of the Spirit. Let us walk by the Spirit. So, back, back to Romans. So Paul says the mind on the flesh can't please God. And without the Spirit, you don't belong to God, Christ. But the one who has the Spirit has this struggle within himself that brings life to our spirit and death to our body. But if we have the Spirit, Paul says, he will ultimately that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will bring about life in your mortal body. In other words, ultimately, this body of death, this body of sin will be shed, but it will then be changed and resurrected. And we've, we've lit candles in that hope. Our hope is not that we just shed this body and go to heaven. That's good. That's better than this. Paul says, to depart and be with the Lord is, is better than being here fighting this battle in the body. But the ones that were in heaven, we read that text earlier. How long, Lord, till you avenge us and we get the body that is our permanent body. We want a body like Christ. We are intended to be embodied spirits and that's what we'll get, but it won't be this body. Mine will be taller. Right? There will be more hair, I'm sure, because it'll be a perfect body, right? This one, this one was cut short. It, it, it's short of the glory of God, right? Which I think is six foot. I'm not sure, but, I, but I'm thinking that, right? So, you with me? Now, we think that way, right? De Dennis Prager says that in heaven, uh, 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 celery will make you fat, right? I, I, I don't think he's theologically right, but he's on the right track there, you know, in that, in that sense, okay? Uh, so... This body ultimately is going to be changed. That's why we bury our beloved dead in hope. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the body. When we will touch each other and hug each other and be with each other again. That's really critical. 
This is not just being some spiritual ephemeral thing, but real live people, not only created in the image of God, but recreated in the image of his son. So we pick up at Romans 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you, you will die. But if you, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, uh, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children heirs, and if heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Now there's a lot here that Paul's trying to unpack. And he does it in other places. But I want you to catch something. If we follow the flesh, if we begin to just let our passions and our circumstances and all of that control us, we're back on the road to death. But if we follow the Spirit, we are going to move into obedience. And this, Paul calls, being led by the Spirit. I have heard all my life, people being led by the Spirit, you know, they're using the force. God told me to buy this house, and He told me to buy that car, and He told me to date this person and do that stuff. All of that is stewardship stuff. That is not the leading of the Spirit. The leading of the Spirit is that drawing you towards obedience to do good things and holy things. That doesn't come from you. The real you wants to do the other stuff. That's God's spirit in you be leading you. And if you are being led that way, you are children of God. Notice the word children. And he says that this is uh, about adoption. The spirit is not slavery and fear, but adoption and hope. Now, adoption here doesn't mean taking a kid from one family and putting them in another family. I know our American idea of adoption is somebody who's in another family is adopted into this family. In the biblical framework, this is a different frame uh, concept. It's the idea of going from a child in the home to an adult in the home. It's similar to what we call confirmation. You go from being a child to being an adult. The Spirit of God is a spirit of maturity to draw you out of childhood into adulthood. Uh, and that's what he's talking about. And again, we have to go to Galatians to see where Paul unpacks this. So in Galatians chapter 4, he picks up this idea of being a child. Galatians 4.1 now I say that as long as an heir, remember he said we're an heir with Christ, as long as an heir is a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, even though he owns everything, right? Because he's a kid, right? He's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we were children held in bondage under the elemental things of the world, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so He might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has set forth His Spirit 
of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, we're no longer a slave, we're a son. But in this life, you and I are children. We are children of God. That's why John says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we shall be like him. There is something that's going to happen that's going to take us from spiritual childhood to spiritual adulthood. And what that is, Paul talks about back in Romans. So back in Romans 8. Paul says, the spirit of adoption causes us to cry, Abba, Father, and testifies that we're children of God and therefore heirs. And then he says this really odd thing. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. And there's a lot here I'd like to talk to about, but I can't stop. I've got to get through the chapter, right? Uh, but growing involves growing pains. It involves struggling. It involves suffering. It involves... Uh, it, we, you don't just automatically grow up. If you don't believe that, look at America. Parents have quit parenting and kids are not growing up. They're getting bigger, but they're not growing up. The maturity level is amazing. I talk to college students now, and I am talking to people who are at the level of junior high maturity when I was a kid. Just amazing to me that in five generations, we've gone from 16-year-olds that won World War II handling the most sophisticated technology in the world to people who just live on skateboards and video games, right? And, and live in their parents' basement, stereotypically. So Paul's telling us that the testing of our faith works patience and character and assured hope. Our goal is glorification with Jesus. The pathway is suffering. And again, I have a lot to talk about that, but I can't do it now because I've got to get through the end of the chapter. So we're going to pick it up at verse 18. I wish I, I wanted to... If you look in the bullet, it says I end at 17 because I was going to end here and then do a whole thing on suffering and then do the other. But I don't want to destroy the chapter. Okay, So we'll go back and unpack that in another, another time. So now Paul says, Now I consider that the sufferings of the present time that's this life, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, again, I, I don't have time to go into this, but you know we suffer by our own stupidity. Okay? We suffer at the hands of other people. We all suffer the sufferings of Ecclesiastes. Life sucks and then you die, right? We all know that. Some of us suffer the sufferings of Job. Or the sufferings of Joseph, right? And some, and we call them martyrs, suffer the sufferings of Christ, right? All of that is part of God's plan. The idea that your faith is going to get you out of that, instead of your faith is going to carry you through that, is a major false doctrine. I get it, because America, we don't want any suffering. I don't even want traffic, Right? Traffic for me is suffering. I'm, I'm suffering for Jesus on the 91 freeway. It's not true, but I feel like it. Relative deprivation, right? So he says, 
The longing, the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice that. We're children of God. We've got the Spirit of God. And now he says, the creation, the whole creation is groaning, desperate for that time when the sons of God will be manifest. The adult children of God will be in the creation, right? For the creation was subjected to futility. That's Ecclesiastes, vanity, all vanity. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The glory of the children of God is when they're no longer children and they become sons and daughters. And we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. So this creation that we're part of, we were formed out of the creation. One of the things I believe is as we get closer to the demise of this creation and it becomes more and more falling apart, the bodies of human beings are going to fall apart more and more. Because we're part of that creation that's going to be overcome by the glory of the new creation that's going to be done. He says, not only this, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've been given the Spirit of God. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for, what are we waiting for? The adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. When is the adoption of sons? When we rise from the dead or are transformed in the gathering up to be with the Lord. In the meantime, we're all children and we're supposed to be growing in grace and in knowledge, learning and preparing ourselves to be adults in the kingdom of God. Not on layaway waiting for Jesus to come back, but preparing ourselves as a bride and as children. The Bible's got both those metaphors. Preparing ourselves as a bride to be without spot and wrinkle and preparing ourselves as children to be ready for maturity. So he says... For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, and we don't see it, then with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. We need our mind set on kingdom things, eternal things, because that's where we're headed. It's not where the world's headed, it's going to pass away, but that's what we're going to do. Now Paul then says in verse 26, and I'm watching my time, In the same way the Spirit helps our weakness because we don't know how to pray as we should. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, really important, not everything is good. God's not going to make everything good. But in all the chaos, okay, all the chaos, this is a garage full of junk. And God's in there pulling stuff together and He's making something good. And it's good for those who are called according to His purpose. And that's those of us who are in Christ. So He's going to say that that's what He's he's doing. So look at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, Before I formed you, 
I knew you. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's predestination, not predestination to salvation. Foreknew us. What he's doing is he says, I'm conforming you. My purpose for you is to be conformed into the image of my son. And that, that his son then would be the firstborn among many brethren. And we're that brethren. He's our elder brother. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified by grace. And those whom he justified, he's going to glorify. And that's the process we're on. Now, because of my time, I got I to scoot. Okay. So what's our problem? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's, you see eight? You got to see eight as it is. If you look around and you're suffering, and you're struggling, you're doing all this stuff, you say, this is hard, you think, maybe God's abandoned me. You missed the message. He said it's going to be a hard trip. It's a hard trip, but if you believe Him, you're going to hang on to Him. You're going to trust Him. You're going to lean in the times when you can't lean. We'll carry you in the times when you can't walk. We're getting there together. That's what this faith is about. So Paul says, If God's for us, who can be against us? If he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him over to us all. I always, I always was told, Jesus loves me, right? And I, I believe that. But John 3.16 is not talking about the love of Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Right? For us, while we were without strength, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he's going to do that, he won't give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the judge. He's the one who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Jesus is the one who died and was raised and is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. No, they're mine. So who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Pressures? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? Sword? Go to bypass 36. 37. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, including traffic on the 91, will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now, I like that verse just the way I read it. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say that. I wish it said that. He stuck these two verses right in the middle of all the trouble. And what are those verses? Just that, why do these things not matter? Because they won't happen to us. Uh-uh. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. The pathway of the cross is a pathway of death to self, and it's often a pathway of suffering. The American church has been very, very, very blessed in being outside of that persecution. But you know the history of the church and of Israel. And those days may be coming close. And we need to confirm ourselves and our children in the fact that suffering is not the abandonment of God. It's the pathway of God. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through the one who loved us. Boy, if you think, if God loves me, why am I going through this? You have not listened to the message. I don't want to go through it without his love. I don't want to go through it without his promise. I don't want to go through it without his faithfulness. Right? And so, as the song says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows as sky billows, whichever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to not doubt in suffering, not to judge others in suffering, but to understand that that is the path. Let us encourage one another. Pick up the arms and the knees and say, let's walk together. We need your spirit and your word, but we need one another in this process. Help us, Lord, to be a community of faith that does not judge suffering, avoids it where we can, But if the pathway leads through it, we will walk in that direction. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.